Hey, this is Russell Wilson. This is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti. Welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast as we kick off December and Week 13 in the NFL. Deshaun Watson returns to play his first game in exactly 700 days. And wouldn't you know, it's in Houston where all the off-field issues for him unfolded, leading to his suspension. I'll be there for all of that drama on Sunday. We have two special guests this week. Former Rams left tackle Andrew Whitworth and longtime journeyman quarterback Josh McCown are here. Whitworth is part of Amazon Prime Video's Thursday night broadcast team. McCown hosts a podcast called Scheme, and he very likely will have a coaching position of some kind next season. So stay tuned for both conversations. Excellent insights from both guys. There are five playoff-type matchups this week. Jets at Vikings, Commanders, Giants, Titans, Eagles, Dolphins, Niners, and Chiefs, Bengals. We'll have some picks coming up later as well. Let's start off with Andrew Whitworth. He played 16 seasons in the NFL. He was the oldest starting left tackle in the NFL at age 40. Helped the Rams win a Super Bowl last season. Was also the Walter Payton Man of the Year. He's now part of Amazon Prime Video's Thursday Night Football Show. Here is our conversation. Whit, thank you for joining me, man. I, I appreciate your time. You've been doing such a great job on Amazon Prime Video Thursday Night Football has that surprised you? Because it, it seems like you guys have been doing this for, for years and it's your first year together. You know what? It's been a lot of fun. I, I think I'm, I knew I was excited about doing it and I had a passion to keep staying involved in the game. I don't think I realized like I was going to have this much fun. I mean, being in the arena every week, just going stadium to stadium, uh, around the staffs, the players, just the environment with the fans, and then also just our crew. It's it's been uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I, I heard that it was you know going to be a fun new chapter, but it's been way more fun than I thought I'd have. It's I'm loving it. How much did you know those guys, Fitz, Sherm, Tony, even Carissa, before you got together? Because as I said to them when I spoke, it seems like you you guys have this great chemistry, and you've just been put together for this short period of time. Yeah, I think with Tony, I mean, I played against him as a as a young, young player. Uh, you know, I got a chance. I think my very first NFL game was in Kansas City with the Bengals in 06, the season opener. So uh knew him from afar, you know, basically, and, and always just obviously he was an amazing player. So a big fan of his game. And then, you know, over the years, when I moved out to L.A., I got to know a lot of the Fox folks and different people there. And so I, I kind of met Carissa before and spent some time with her. And and also Tony had been around some some of his we have some mutual friends. So we that part, I kind of knew them a little bit. Sherman and I really outside of being opponents had never been around each other that much. I've had kind of some outside dealings like I used to be involved with the P.A., not as much now. Um, but you know, for over the years, we've been around each other at some PA events, NFL PA stuff, but outside of that, it was just respect, you know, for one another's games and how, you know, both of us leaders, captains, uh, good players for our football teams. And both of us have a lot of passion for that. Uh, so we've always had a mutual respect from that standpoint. And then Fitz and I actually played together. So in Cincinnati, we were together, you know, with the Bengals. And so I, I knew Fitz really well and just uh, all the all the things that make him really special and the Fitz magic and everything else. I was probably there at the beginning of all of that. Uh, I have some fun stories about Ryan just playing with him and being around him. So, you know, it's it's been cool, though. I think you, you kind of know people a little bit or a little bit about them. But really for our group, how fast it's gelled and how much fun we have together and just it kind of seems like we've been doing it forever, even though, you know, it's a new start. I mean, there's obviously rookie moments and things where you're like, oh, man, I don't know how to, you know, we do this or how do you go about this? But 
just our relationship has felt like we've been together for a lot longer than just these six, seven months. You know, about half the NFL played with Fitz, so that's uh, very yeah. common. Very every common week, I, mean, yeah. I get tired of I get tired of being in the new, you know, the home of Fitz every week. It's like it feels like every week, everywhere we go, it's like Ryan Fitzpatrick's home. <laughs> How much does it help that, you know, I know you guys spend a lot of time together off the set, getting to know each other, sharing, whether it's parenting advice or anything else. How much do you think that helps and that translates into the success, into what we're seeing on air? I think it's a huge part. I mean, myself being somebody who culture and and those kind of things as a player was always the most important thing to me. How we do things, how we approach it, the way we treat each other, the respect level in our building when I was a player was always something I was a huge protector of and meant a lot to me. And so I think even in this this facet of life, like especially even more so the conversation and the ability to communicate with each other off the air only leads to a better product on it. I mean, for us to be able to share things about our families and our kids and who we are as people, I think it helps when we're up there talking, discussing topics to kind of know where each one of us is coming from and what really the basis of maybe our message is that we're trying to get across so that we could not only maybe argue against or help each other get that point out or, you know, all right, I understand where you're coming from. Let me explain where I'm coming from. I think just having that dialogue, it's been amazing to me that how many times something will happen on air or a conversation that I'm like, man, Richard and I just had this conversation, you know, two hours ago. And it's funny now it's come up and here we are on air having the same conversation or we, you know, Fitz and I have talked about this two days ago on the phone. And so it's just interesting how much that happens. And you really don't realize that that natural conversation and just that relationship, how important it is. What do you think was the biggest challenge for you at first when you first came in and moving right from the field, right from winning a Super Bowl to getting into the broadcast booth studio uh, where you guys are? What was the toughest thing at first? I think just always, you know, making sure that you you don't look at, uh, I think just like in sports, right? I mean, as a receiver or or a DB or, you know, anybody's collecting stats, quarterbacks, D linemen, like linebackers and tackles, you you have a tendency to look at what other people are doing or maybe where, where they're getting their, making their hay or whatever. And you're like, Hey, you know, like, how do I get my space or how do I get this opportunity? And really realizing that each individual role is so different. And so it's really like, how do you be yourself, be authentic to who you are and really share your knowledge and what you're passionate about in the game of football. And don't worry about how it compares to other people or maybe the space that somebody does or doesn't have to talk about it. Because I think that's the toughest thing is you you start worrying about trying to get points across instead of just what it is that you're passionate about. And, and I think that's when it becomes off more authentic and it relates because majority of the time when I talk to fans or I talk to buddies of mine that love to watch uh, different sports shows and, you know, even my wife and some of her friends, just what they say is like, they want to see people who love what they do. They have a passion for what they do. And do they remember every little point and every little stat? Like not really, but they kind of understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to get across and maybe the the attitude and the charisma you have to do it. And that's really what they walk away from. And I think to me in life, you you, you remember people you meet, you know, less about what they say is more of like when you walk up and say hello to someone, that handshake, that hello, the greeting, the, the appreciation they have for just saying hello to you. That's what you remember. And I think TV is not that much different. When did you decide to go with the hoodie look? Uh, it's been something I've always worn hoodies like my whole career, like if I'm at practice, if I'm at workout. I mean, I'm always Cooper Cup used to make fun of me. I mean, I would find a way to have a hoodie on at all times. I, I just I've always loved wearing hoodies. 
I think it's the big old neck and just, uh, you know, looking awkward in, in collared shirts sometimes probably made me just self-conscious, but I've always enjoyed it. And, and so when I started thinking about being on air, um, it's not that I can't rock a collar shirt and dress up nice. I mean, I'd, I'd love to do that too. But one of the things we were talking with our, you know, our people that kind of help us pick that out and wardrobes and stuff, um, was just being authentic to who you are. And if that's who you're really comfortable being, uh, we want to do that. That's something, you know, that I think NFL and prime was like, Hey, we want guys to just kind of wear, you know, we don't want to do what everybody else does. We want you to just be authentic to who you are. And so, uh, there, I was like, well, listen, if you want to be authentic, I mean, I love wearing hoodies and sports coats. That's I love to go to like, if I go to dinner with my wife or something, I always put a hoodie on it's some kind of jacket. Uh, that's just my style. And so, uh, they were like, let's do it. And it went off. It's great. I mean, I loved every week getting like the positive and the negative feedback, right? It's like so extreme. It almost cracks you up that people even care that much, but you would get people that just hate it. And then you get a bunch of people that love it. And so it's it's so interesting uh, that people really pay attention to that more than you'd ever think, you know, what you're wearing when you're sitting up there. Yeah, and people aren't afraid to let you know when they hate something on Twitter, that's for sure. They, they flex those keyboard muscles. And do you find yourself with watching, do you analyze like post after a show? Do you, do you watch your performance? Do you ever go back and go, I, I could have done this or it's just move on to the next week and, and get feedback from uh, the studio and, and other people higher ups. I think really the only time I may do that is if I feel like I might've stumbled through a word or I didn't clearly say something. I don't like to just randomly go back and watch them all unless I feel like there's a reason. Now, I was the same way as a player. Um, I think every person's different. There's some people that need to go back and see every word and see every clip and get a feel for how it went. Um, I think for me, unless there's something just glaring, I need to go look at, I was always somebody as a player. I'll never forget Paul Alexander, my first offensive line coach, who's in Cincinnati for forever and is now, you know, still involved with the game in a bunch of different ways. He used to always say that one of the rarest traits that I had is that after my first one-on-one pass rush with him when I was a rookie, he was like, I've never seen somebody who could walk away from a snap that just happened in a matter of two, you know, two, three seconds. And you told me verbatim, like every single motion your body made, every mistake you made, where your hand was, where your foot was, like you had a feel that I've never seen before that you could tell me you don't even need a tape. Like you could tell me every single thing that happened and it happened in a flash. And so I think for me, I think it's because in my mind, I want to be able to feel what I feel like is coming off genuine, what's not, how I communicated something or didn't. And so it's not necessarily I need to go back and watch it. I, I kind of like I want to have a feel for it in the moment so that I can correct it on my own if I feel like I'm not being clear or I'm not being authentic to me. And so, yeah, I don't really go back that much unless it's stuff that I just think is glaring or, hey, I had a big point I wanted to make. Let me go look if I actually made it or it was clear. Was there a moment maybe early on in, in, in the season where you felt like you were on set or you, you were on air or whatever it was and you felt like, yeah, I really belong here. Like, I I got this. I, I can do this job. Yeah, I think I've learned it a couple ways. Um, one was when I when we had our kind of our, you know, not our mock game, but a practice game in the preseason. We did the Houston Texans Niners. And that was really my first time uh, to set on be on a set and, and talk like that. And I've always told people what's really different is when you're a quarterback or even like somebody like Richard Sherman, like a famous defensive player or Tony Gonzalez, a Hall of Fame football player or Carissa, obviously, and her career has done everything. You you basically are in the media all the time. You're at a press conference. You're standing up behind a microphone like there's cameras everywhere. When you're at O-lineman, like my version of the media is like somebody with a tape recorder 
And the whole locker room's cleared, and it's just, just me and the one tape recorder person asking me a couple questions. Like, there's no pressure, no stress, and nobody, you know, really cares that much unless you say something that's flashy that they can use. So I had zero – like, when you talk about being raw and zero experience, I literally have zero experience. I mean, I think my biggest press conference ever was the day I retired. I'm not even sure I ever had one outside of that. So I can't remember really actually having a press conference ever before. So – I was literally brand new. So to get up there and do it, I had a lot of fun. Um, and I realized, like, man, that was fun. It was exhilarating. I was in the in the arena of the stadium. Uh, I really enjoy this. And I think the, the first time I learned, though, was really I did some audition stuff for Fox uh, maybe a couple of years ago, like calling a mock game kind of broadcaster stuff instead of analyst. And I felt like in that moment, I had no idea what I was walking into and I had no idea what even at that point, just being honest, like I don't even think I paid attention to what broadcasters really do or like that just was the farthest thing. They just kind of threw it out there and I was like, sure, I'll go do it. I never had any training or anything. And I felt like not necessarily that it was bad, but that when I walked out of it, I was like, God, I was not myself at all. Like if anything, that was like me trying to be what I guess I perceived as a broadcaster, like just a bunch of statistics and like trying to memorize things. And uh, I just felt like, man, if I ever get a shot again, I'm just going to literally be who I am. Uh, who cares about like the other stuff, like trying to be whatever a broadcaster is. And so um, I think that that lesson taught me if I get another chance and, and it's for real, I'm just going to be me and, and I'm going to be authentic to that and my passions and what I care about. And I'll let it rip from there. Well, you said earlier you have some great Brian Fitzpatrick stories, so I can't let you go without giving me a Fitz magic story. Is there a favorite one that sticks out to you that you, that you want to share? I think with Fitz, you know, he's uh, he's one of those guys, obviously, he's a Harvard guy, he's incredibly intelligent, um, and he's a lot of fun. Everyone knows he's witty and he's funny, but I, I'll never forget our first experience really with him in, in Cincinnati. He was the backup quarterback to Carson Palmer, and so – in the old NFL, when you played in the preseason all the time uh, in every game, the the, the starting O-line would always play the fourth preseason game with the backup quarterback. And usually the coach would say, hey, look, you guys, you're going to play one series, two series with him. If you score, you get to get out of the game. Or if you just go out there, you know, that kind of deal, 14 plays, something like that. Well, Marvin Lewis in, in that week would say, hey, look, we're going to put Fitz in there so that you guys get used to him. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what happens on the drive. Just go out there, take a couple of snaps and series with him. Just see how to communicate. If it's three and out, it is. But just get some plays in, and then you guys can get off the field. And, and the, by the time you're at the end of training camp in the fourth game, you just want to get out of the pads, off the pads, take a week, take a couple of days, get ready for the season, and get locked in. So the last thing you want is a big drive in the preseason and the last preseason game. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick ran for a first down on like third and six. Maybe six times in a row. It felt like it was a 17-play drive. And this guy's out there just battling, being Fitz Magic. He's breaking tackles, diving for first downs. And the entire time, the starting O-line, it was a big veteran group at that time. I was the young guy. They are just so angry. Like, just throw the ball away. Just throw it in. Who cares? It's the fourth preseason game. We just want to get off the field. And this dude was being Fitzmagic. I mean, he literally drove us all the way down the field. I think it was 13, 15 plays, scored a touchdown. He's obviously just going crazy. And we are all like, man, I wanted off this field 10 minutes ago. 
I think it was like an eight, 10 minute play drive. And it just, it, that's just him. Like he's just such a competitor that that's all he wanted to do is score with that group. And I think all of us were thinking, let's get off this football field. Uh, but I, I'll never forget that moment with him, man. He's always been one of those guys that he set the tone when he was behind, back there. And uh, he's been a lot of fun to work with now as well. Man, that's a great story. Wait, has it surprised you what's happened with the Rams since you left and, and what's going on with that team now? Obviously off to a very difficult start. Now they lose Cooper Cup for a while. And, uh, you know, how, how can you pinpoint? Like, what would you say? What's going on? What's happened there? Yeah, I think if you really look at it, I mean, a lot of people dig deep for a lot of different narratives and things. But the NFL has always held true to this. When you have these seasons where you can't keep people healthy and you can't put out the people that you intended to start the season with, uh, you're in a lot of trouble. And so when you take a team like the Rams, who literally they did go all in the last couple of years, they were trading picks, they were going for big players and then rewarding those players with big contracts. You're now living in a world where you own almost have to be perfect health-wise because your big-time players are getting paid, but the rest of the guys are guys that you've either drafted or they have little experience and they haven't earned that next contract yet. So they're a, a big part of your roster. And so for them to have all the injuries they've had, they don't have the money to go dive out there and go, all right, let's, hire, let's bring in so-and-so and pay them something to come play here. We've got to keep going with who can play for the league minimum who can we bring up for practice squad? You don't have any immediate ways to fix things, right? You've seen teams like they lose a guy. All right, let's find a way to go trade for somebody or let's go pick up a guy that's on the street that maybe he's asking for more money than people want to give him. I think Dwayne Brown, great example, right? Nobody paid him in free agency. Jets had the money to say, hey, look, Dwayne Brown's available. Let's go grab him. Well, the Rams could never in their lives write that check. I mean, there's no way they could do it. They don't have the room. So they don't have an ability to fix things immediately. So it's all next guy up. Well, then when you turn around now, they're going to go 10 weeks, 10 different starting O-line groups. I mean, that's almost unheard of. I don't know if I've ever seen it before. I know they went nine for nine, but now they just lost two more guys this week. Um, so it, it's going to be crazy. They're going to be down to guys who might not even made the roster are now the starters the rest of the season. And you're just you're going to have a tough time being good, especially the way they were built. And I think people would ask, why is that? Well, some teams are built to run the football and they're built with a lot of tight ends, different packages that they run the football like, hey, hey if we can't throw it, we'll run it. The Rams didn't do that. This offseason, they said, look, we're going to bring in Allen Robinson. We're not going to really bring in any tight ends. We're going to lose one in Johnny Munt. And we are just going to rely on Matthew Stafford our quarterback and our receivers throwing the football on people and playing good defense. And when you lose your line, you can't protect the quarterback. You can't just jump into being a running team all of a sudden because they didn't build their roster that way. So they're in the worst case scenario for them. They would have rather lost receivers or somebody else than lose linemen because the only way they are built is to protect the quarterback because defensively, they're still a top 10 defense and playing really well. They just have no ability to move the football down the field because they're not really built to run it. Well, you were there when they won the Super Bowl, but before that, you were also named the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And I talked to a lot of guys who are even just nominated, and they talk about how great of a, an accomplishment, achievement that is to even be recognized in that way. What did it mean for you to, to be able to be viewed in, in that light? 
Well, again, I mean, going back to being an old lineman, you're just not used to it, right? I mean, it's it's a very uh, different thing. I mean, much like sitting on that desk for Amazon in, in the preseason, I mean, standing on that stage that Thursday night for the Super Bowl, I think as an old lineman, that's, that's the first time I've ever been to one of those events, much less been on the stage for it. So, uh, you know, it, it, you know, you almost just want to shout out to the old line guys right before you get started. But yeah, I, honestly, I think over the years, I think I've been nominated four or five times and um, it had been just so cool to me to just be in that that conversation because when I every year I got nominated, I would read the 31 other guys and just how inspirational it was to keep pushing the envelope and keep believing and making a difference because I think it gave me so much pride about the league I play in, how special the guys are that play in it. I mean, not only do they vote themselves – take on a lot of risks with their bodies and the devotion they have to their football teams and their families and providing for them. But then they give of themselves and their time and their money and they invest in their communities. And I've always said, I mean, I just challenge other walks of life. How many are like athletes? I mean, professional athletes who gives up more money and time and investment in communities. I mean, you think about it, it's almost something we require of athletes. I mean, it's like they need to be involved in the community they play in and be a part of it. And to see how many guys like are so invested and wanting to make a difference is always so inspiring to me. So when it came to last year, them kind of saying, Hey, you should come to the event. There's a chance like you're, you're going to win it. Uh, I was just like, I was blown away because it's like, I've just been in awe of all these guys and they've kind of helped push me to keep pushing the envelope myself. And um, I thought it was a lot of fun when I signed back to come back to another year with the Rams uh, I told Molly Higgins, you know, our VP of community relations and stuff, just that like, hey, if I sign this deal, I'm signing it purposely to like some of it, we're going to try and make a huge difference this year. And so we started some really cool initiatives and, you know, just built off the things we've been doing years before. And it was just an unbelievable honor to get up there and represent a lot of guys and a lot of people, uh, a lot of men and women that are involved in the league and making a difference in every community of every NFL city and abroad. Uh, to be a representation of that and that mo- that passion and that movement to make a difference uh, was an honor I'll never forget. The Super Bowl was really cool, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, but standing on that stage and being a representative of that uh, is something I think that I'll have a lot of, a lot of pride and, and a lot of great feelings about for a long time. Wait, I appreciate you, man. Thank you uh, for all you've done. And, and uh, keep up that great, just phenomenal work on, on Thursday Night Football. So I look forward to seeing more of you and wish you a ton of blessings. I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. Josh McCown played 18 seasons in the NFL with 12 teams. He finished his last season with Houston in 2020, then interviewed with the Texans for the head coaching job twice the past two years. We chat about that, his podcast scheme, and much more. Josh, welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Great to have you on, man. And uh, I covered part of your career, followed your entire career. Now you have your own podcast that you're doing. It's called Scheme. It's part of the Underdog Fantasy Content Network. I know a new episode drops each Thursday. So tell me a little bit about that, uh, what you're doing, what what you like about it, and how you got involved. Yeah, so obviously uh, Underdog Fantasy uh, is its own own thing. And if you love fantasy sports and if you play it, uh, which uh, it seems like the whole world does because it, there's not a year that I didn't play that somebody didn't tell me, hey, man, you really helped me out in fantasy this year. Or uh, more often, you, you really killed me in fantasy this year. <laughs> um, but uh, but at any rate, that that portion of that, you know, the, the, the whole, as you said, the network, they want to bring football content 
to their subscribers. And so, um, so we started a podcast called Scheme. Josh Norris hosts it along with myself. And we just take a look at uh, uh, things around the league. Uh, this first probably five or six episodes, the, the focus has really been on quarterback play because that's my area of expertise. And, uh, and we just take a deep dive into, into why these guys are playing the way they're playing. Uh, some of the nuances of the position, uh, some of the nuances of the schemes that we're seeing applied. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I think, you know, for, for me, I love being around the game. I love watching tape anyway. And uh, to be able to share that with other people to kind of give them a better perspective of what's happening so that we can truly respect uh, every player, and especially these quarterbacks nowadays. Um, I'm really enjoying that. And fans can find the podcast on YouTube. Uh, I know it's also available wherever podcasts are found out. You said deep dive, deep dive into footballs and uh, X's and O's. Josh, do you have to balance, though, how much terminology, like insider knowledge that you use uh, with terms that people can understand or, or, or make it so uh, the average viewer, the average listener can get it? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I do, but I also I'm I'm going to give that to you because I think that's what that's what the fans are coming for. They want to hear that. They want to hear you know 18 years and a different offensive coordinator for 18 straight years. They want to hear all those different different things. And we I give you share those insights. Um, you know I've got a stack of playbooks you know from from all over and uh, and so it's it's fun to see plays and as we're seeing as we watch this season unfold. Uh, you know, Josh and I'll be talking in the discourse and, and it, it'll I'll, I'll tell him, like, hey, this is a play that was popular when I came into the league. And then it kind of went away because the defense kind of figures it out. And then the play comes back and it's popular again. So you see all these different things uh, that happen um, throughout the course of my career and over the last 20 years. Uh, and so I try to give the fans a, a, a window into that. And, uh, and and like I said, it's fun to watch Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, or Tua uh, Tagovailoa that we broke down yesterday. It's fun to watch those guys, right? But but if somebody can give you an insight of what their mind is thinking about while they're standing at the line of scrimmage, when they receive the football, the the, the I call them hurdles in the brain, the different hurdles that they're jumping in the brain and decisions that they're making at, you know, at, at a fast pace, uh, just to give you perspective of how we can appreciate these guys, these great athletes, that are also, you know, high-level executives, high-level decision makers, um, you know, for 65, 70 plays uh, a game every weekend. So um, so that's the idea of it. So we, we do try to balance it so that, you, you know, we're not over your head where you can't understand it. But I think it's where the real fan wants to come and go, tell me a little bit more about, you know, more than I'm just getting maybe that I, that I tune in on TV and I see on Sunday afternoon because there's, you know, the color guys can only give so much. Uh, but But we can kind of take it a little bit deeper. And so hopefully it gives them that. I'm one of those guys who appreciates that really deep dive, that terminology, that lingo understanding. So it really helps. It benefits people, you know, as you're learning, as you're watching. It gives you an education uh, into the game. You mentioned something there that I didn't even realize, man. 18 years, 18 different offensive coordinators. You didn't have any stability <laughs> year to year? No, no. Well, I, I, I changed offensive coordinators every year of my career since I was a junior in high school. Wow. So uh, I, now I, I did get to have Mike Martz twice. And there's Detroit. I had him in Detroit. And then I had him in Chicago. So I had him twice. So there was some overlap there. Uh, but uh, but he's the only guy that I had for two, you know, for two different times, but never anybody two, two years in a row. So. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff bouncing around in here, a lot of lines and, yeah. you know, things going on. And, and you know, this this team calls it this. 
hey, this, this, and it's the same exact play. And that's what we really go into is you would be surprised at how many people have the same stuff in their playbook. They just call it different. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into really how do they detail that, that play out? How do they approach that play? What is the quarterback being told on that play? How they're, how they're, uh, how they think about that play. So sometimes it's like, hey, we're, we're this this receiver is number one on this play, and with a different coaching staff and a totally different offense, it's like, well, we don't ever look at that guy. And those th- those two things can be true and valid. It's just you know everybody's opinion and, and kind of the talent and the makeup of the roster. So uh, we try to share some of those things uh, on the show. Well, that's eighteen different offenses that you had to learn. I, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking behind you. I see all the jerseys you played for, like nearly the entire league. I know it's like <laughs> ten or, or eleven, but that's a lot of knowledge. That's a lot of education, which leads me to this, Josh. You've had a couple opportunities to interview for the Houston Texans head coaching position. It would seem to me, with someone who has been experienced the way you have, like you, you're going to bring a lot to the table. What was your experience like in those interviews and what are your future aspirations? Yeah, you know, uh, I think uh, maybe one day I'll be into coaching. I'm coaching high school ball right now. I had two sons uh, that were, uh, you know, at at the end of high school. So one was a senior last year and then just currently had a senior uh, this year and and was able to coach both those uh, guys through and, and had a blast doing that. And that was my focus. Uh, but but maybe pro coaching is in the future. We'll see. Um, certainly, the opportunity to uh, meet with and discuss that with the Texans was uh, was you know interesting and special, and, and I learned a lot. And and, um, and you know the opportunity to just so much respect for the head coaching position that uh, that you, you know you need to at least go uh, visit with those people and learn and see see what it's about. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it didn't didn't work out, and, and you know, I'm kind of thankful that I, I was able to spend this last season with my son and uh and then we'll see what the future holds you know i i i you know as you can see with the jerseys man the, the old saying you know we plan and god laughs i think is 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 very applicable to, to our life and so um so maybe one of these days you know find myself uh coaching in the league somewhere um i love the nfl uh you know i'm i, I don't uh, i don't hide that I, I love you know enjoyed my career the different stops as you said i've had so many experiences uh, of what to do, a lot of what not to do. And so, uh, you know, just want to, you know, maybe bring that to a team one day and be able to help a team. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter where, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever position, whatever I can coach, you know, it's just, I love being part of teams and, uh, and, and being part of a group. And you start out with that group and you say, okay, let's go try to do something special and, and let's, let's create a process and let's get better at that process. And so I really enjoy that. And so whether it's at the high school level or college, I don't really care. And I don't really care what the position is. I just enjoy being part of teams. And so um, so hopefully that's in the future someday. So you would definitely be interested in, in say, a coordinator role or a quarterback's coach position or, or, or something along those lines, too, as well. Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not picky. Like I said, man, <laughs> like it's such a privilege, especially in the NFL. Like it is such a privilege to, to get to walk into the building. You, you know, Rob, I, I spent my first probably eight or nine years in the league not really wanting for a job, always free agency hitting and, and getting a chance to play somewhere. And then I was out of the league in 2010, spent a year in the UFL. And uh, and so when you go through that and then you get back in, to me, I can just remember when I got back in, I was I was with the Bears and I can remember, you know, grabbing that handle at Hallis Hall and walking in that facility and just feeling a sense of gratitude of just going, you know what? Like, I don't want to take this for granted. I don't want to take this. And I, and I really thought like, this I might get cut this day and I might get cut this day. And then, you know, thankfully I, I lasted whatever it was eight or nine more years. Um, but I, 
but I experienced the back half of my career different than I did the front half of just with a great sense of gratitude for, for the, uh, for the privilege it is to play in the national football league. And so that's where my heart is. Like it really, I just, I just love being a part of teams. And one of those 32, they're all special. They're all unique. There's unbelievable people in those buildings. And, uh, and so um, if that's where the plan leads me one of these days, then, then I'll be thankful for that uh, right now. You know, I'll do the best I can uh, coaching high school football. And then, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Josh, just how difficult is it to go from team to team you know, obviously there's great parts to it, more relationships. You get to know different people, learn different schemes. But for, for a family guy to have to to leave and, and to go from city to city and, and all of that movement, just how difficult is that? I think it's something that fans may overlook. You know, you look at football players, it's a glamorous lifestyle, you're making all this money. But that's the real life stuff that you got to deal with. No doubt. Um, I think uh, my career probably resonates more with coaches. <laughs> than it does players because coaches are transitioning, you know, every few years a lot more. And, uh, and so that's, that was kind of my experience. I, you know, you get into this thing and you wish, and I was hoping like I would stay with the Arizona Cardinals for 15 years and be the franchise quarterback. And that was my, you know, that was my goal, but it didn't work out that way. And, uh, and, and the plan changed and then we had to adapt and, and um, you're right. It's not easy. I mean, my credit, my wife so much for, you know, holding down the fort, especially, the back half of my career where it was really changing. I was on a series of one-year deals. And, and so it was hard to move my daughter who was in high school. We, we weren't going to move her. So they kind of, we kind of established a home base there in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I kept going and traveling to these teams. So, um, so you're exactly right. Uh, but again, it's, it's part of this business. It's part of, you know, what we deal with. It's what we sign up for. And I understand that. Uh, and, uh, and so I, if anything, I think, you know, it's rounded out uh, not only myself, but my family uh, just learning to adapt. And, and uh, I'm just thankful just the number of guys that I've been exposed to that I got to be around uh, great people in all these facilities, uh, both men and women. And, and, uh, and you know, we laugh. Everybody, everybody kind of, you know, especially when I do the show, they laugh about the jerseys and, and give me a hard time. And I'm like, you know, a lot of guys like to put their teammates up or whatever. And I say, like, I ain't got a house big enough for all the guys that I've played with because – uh, you know, I, and I want to put them all up on the wall. So, uh, so we kind of do it like that as a, as a memento to all the different stops we've made. And we can sit there and think about, you know, this person on that team and, and the great relationship we had on this team. So, um, so yeah, it, it is tough, but I still would, would frame it as a privilege to be able to get to, uh, you know, walk that journey. Is there a city, a fan base that sticks out to you? Oh man. <laughs> of all yeah. those I think, uh, I would say, I would say, when I was in Chicago, you know, I, it was really special. And in those Midwest and the Northeast cities. So once I was in Chicago, uh, felt it in Detroit a little bit in that stop. But, but we, you know, we were, we were kind of down at that time, weren't very good. And, uh, but Chicago, man, that was, that was special. Uh, then going uh, to Cleveland, they, they loved their passion about that team, the Jets and then the Eagles. Like those, those cities to me, that's what pro football is about. And it's really special in those cities, and they really, really care about their team. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, like to, to play my last game in Philly and to feel the passion of that, of that city and, and to get to experience that, you know, that organization was awesome. And so, uh, so it'd be hard, hard, hard pressed to choose one of them. Um, but I would say that the cultures of those cities uh, made it special for sure. That last game with we didn't even know at the time nobody could, but you're playing with that. You know, Carson goes down with the concussion. You come in, and you tear your hamstring. Like 
<laughs> How you? Well, completely off the bone, Josh. Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah, not good. I guess that's that's what happens to old guys. Um, yeah, it was a bummer, you know, that happened in the middle of the game. But uh, you know, uh, it's kind of you know, Coach Peterson had, had preached it all year. So what now? What and kind of move on mentality. And so yeah. it happened, and it was like, all right, we got to be there for the guys. And uh, you know, playing a backup role that whole year, and really, you know, just more than anything, trying to trying to be a, a voice and and uh a, a help to Carson in that quarterback room and you see the time that's put in how much how hard Carson worked um and how hard the coaches worked and and uh and so when you when something like that happens it's like man I, I can't bail out now like you know they're, they're dependent on us and and uh wish we would have got it done but um but for me you know my whole career all these different stops some of them a lot of them rebuilds you know to be at Philly and finish kind of that last year with those guys where it was a well-run organization. It was going the right way. They were a playoff team with Super Bowl aspirations and all that. And to get to play in that last game was special. Even though we didn't come up with the win, it was special. And uh, kind of this playoff thing that had eluded me my whole career, I was very thankful for that. You mentioned Carson. You were in a quarterback room with him for an entire year. And I've often said that he's the most misunderstood player in the NFL because there's so much – I mean, I'll be flat out honest. People hate him for all the wrong reasons. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It, it. it irks me. I defend him all the time. And as a teammate, Josh, you were his teammate. You were in the quarterback room with him. Can't you know? And and every time you hear anybody say anything negative about Carson, it's always anonymous. But anytime somebody says anything positive, it, it's always they get there's their, their names attached to it. Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox rave about him. What did you think of Carson? Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed working with Cars. Um, you know, I thought he was very, 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 very smart player. Um, uh, and uh and just I had a blast that year, uh getting to know him. Um and, you know, young family getting ready to have kids and all that stuff. And and so uh it was fun to to kind of have that year uh with a with, with a younger guy. Um and just, you know, try to help him as best I could. I think, you know, we were very proud of Oh, everybody in that quarterback room, Nate Sudfeld, uh, Press Taylor, like ha- how we played down the stretch. You know, if you remember Carson, I think played at, you know, at a really high level down the stretch, completing a lot of balls and, and to get us into the playoffs, to put us even in that wild card game. So, um, so you know, uh, my experience was great. Everybody's different, but, uh, but I know this, that dude came in, he worked hard. He cares a lot about the game. Uh, and you know he he puts his best foot forward every time he steps into that building and uh, and tries to help his team and um, you know I know he's a little dinged up right now and and you know they're going through a, a little bit of a change but I know he's going to be a great teammate he's going he's going to help that guy and he's going to help his team as best he can and and uh, that's that's the experience I have with him and that's that's what I believe him to be and you know unfortunately sometimes in this league you know you get you know perceptions you know kind of get out of hand and and. Things are looked at differently, but uh, but yeah, I have a number of good things to say about Carson. That's awesome, man. Well, the podcast is Scheme. It's part of the Underdog Fantasy Content Network. A new episode drops each Thursday, and you can find it also on YouTube. Josh, I really appreciate your time, man, and wish you a, a ton of success and a ton of blessings. Thank you so much, Rob. Take care, man. to the 
AP Pro Football Podcast. The four-pack is 25-22-1 this season. Let's try to get you some winners. We'll start in Detroit. The Lions are one-and-a-half-point favorites against Jacksonville. The Jaguars are coming off an impressive win against Baltimore. The Lions played well against Buffalo. They've won three of four, and they're a different team than the one that struggled early. Lions, 27-22. Next, let's look at Cleveland, minus seven on the road against the Texans and Deshaun Watson's return to the NFL and return to Houston. Watson hasn't played in 700 days, so he may be rusty, but the Browns are facing the worst run defense in the NFL. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can carry the offense. Browns, 26-16. For my best bet, the Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites in Cincinnati in a rematch of the AFC Championship game. The Bengals beat the Titans in a playoff rematch, but KC is the better team, and they're looking to stay ahead in the race for the number one seed. Chiefs, 30-23. For the upset special, the Giants are one-and-a-half-point home underdogs against Washington. New York aims to snap a two-game losing streak. The Commanders have won six of seven. They'll meet again in two weeks. Take the home team, Giants, 20-17. For more insight and predictions on every game, check out ProPicks on APNews.com. Time for some final thoughts. Lamar Jackson responded to a troll on Twitter with vulgar comments last week after the Ravens lost to the Jaguars. I still don't know why players ever read social media because people are just downright nasty. But even if you want to scroll through and interact with some fans, because there are some really good ones too out there as well, it's not that hard to ignore the haters. Nothing good comes from a negative response If you're a professional athlete, really, that applies to anybody. It's a life lesson for all. Ignore the haters. It's just not worth it. That's it for this week. Thank you to Andrew Whitworth and Josh McCown. And thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, check out my colleague, Ralph Russo, and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. (laughs) 